Chapter Twenty Six of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six. He is a worthy gentleman, exceedingly well read, and profited in strange concealments. Henry the Fourth. It was hardly night when Sir Osborne departed. A faint and diminishing blush still tinged the eastern sky. The blackbird was still singing his full round notes from every thicket, and not a star had yet ventured forth upon the pathway of the sun, except one that, bright and sweet even then, seemed like a fond and favoured child to the monarch of the sky, following fearlessly on his brilliant steps, while others held aloof. The calm of the evening sank down gently on the young adventurer's heart. It was so mild, so placid, and though perhaps pensive and tinged with melancholy, yet there was a sort of promise in that last smile of parting day, which led hope forward, and told of brighter moments yet to come. For some time the knight indulged in vague dreams, made up, as indeed is the whole dream of human life, of hopes and fears, expectation and despondency. Then, giving up thought for action, he spurred forward his horse, and proceeded as far as he could towards London. Longpole followed in silence, for, in spite of all his philosophy, he felt a sort of qualm at the idea of the long period which must intervene ere he could hope to see his pretty Geraldine, that took away several ounces of his loquacity. London at length spread wide before them, and after some needless circumambulation, owing to the knight's total ignorance of the labyrinthian intricacies of the city, and the dangerous littleness of Longpole's knowledge thereof, they at length reached Gracious Street, and discovered the small, square, paved court, long since built over, and I believe now occupied by a tea-dealer, but which then afforded a sort of area before the dwelling of the Flemish merchant, William Hans. On the left hand, nearest the river, was situated the counting-house, and to the front, as well as to the right, stretched a range of buildings which, from their polyphemous-like appearance, having but one window or aperture in the front, except the door, the knight concluded to be those warehouses whose indiscriminate moor swallowed up the produce of all parts of the earth. Over the counting-house, however, appeared several smaller windows, principally glazed, and through one of these shone forth upon the night the light of a taper, giving notice that some one still waked within. While Longpole dismounted and knocked with the hilt of his dagger against a little door by the side of that which led to the counting-house, the knight watched the light in the window. But he watched, and Longpole knocked in vain, for neither did the light move nor the door open, till Sir Osborne bethought him of a stratagem to call the merchant's attention. "'Make a low knocking against the windows of the counting-house, Longpole,' said he, "'as if you were trying to force them. "'I have known these money-getters as deaf as adders to any sound "'but that which menaced the mammon.' "'Longpole obeyed, and the moment after the light moved. "'Hold, hold!' cried the knight. "'He hears!' "'And the next moment the casement window was pushed up, "'through which the head of the good merchant protruded itself, "'vociferating, "'Who's tear? What do you want?' "'A call to watch! Watch! Watch!' "'Taisez-vous!' cried the knight, addressing him in French, not being able to speak the Brabant dialect of the merchant, 
and yet not wishing to proclaim his errand aloud in english nous sommes amis descendez guillaume hans c'est le sire de Danley. oh i'll come down i'll come down cried the merchant run skippenhausen and open de door i'll come down my good lord in a minute the two travellers had not now long to wait for in a moment or two the little door at which longpole had at first in vain applied for admission was thrown open by a personage the profundity of whose nether garments together with his long waistcoat square-cut blue coat with the seams and there were many all bound with white lace induced sir osborne immediately to write him down for a dutch navigator descending the stairs immediately behind his first apparition came the merchant himself with his black gown which had probably been laid aside for the night now hurried on not with the most correct adjustment in the world for it looked very much as if turned inside out which might well happen to a robe the sleeves of which were not above six inches long sir osborne however did not stay to investigate the subject very minutely but explaining to the good merchant that he had something particular to say to him he was conducted into the counting-house where he informed him as succinctly as possible of what had occurred and what he desired good master hans was prodigal of his astonishment which vented itself in various exclamations in flemish english and french after which coming to business as he said he told the knight that he could put up his horses in the same stable where he kept his drays and that after that they would talk of the rest but on my word good lord said he i must go with your man myself for there is not one soul in the place to let him in or out of the stable which is behind the house the most troublesome part of the affair for the moment was to take off the bard or horse armour that covered the knight's charger as it could not be left in the stable till the next morning when the merchant's carters would arrive and poor william hans was desperately afraid that the round of the watch would pass while the operation was in execution and supposed that he was receiving some contraband goods which might cause a search the next day the business however was happily accomplished by the aid of the dutch captain who seeing that there was something mysterious going forward and having a taste that way gave more active assistance than either his face or figure might have taught one to expect he also it was who while the good merchant with the candle in his hand led our friend longpole with the horses to the stable conducted the knight upstairs into the room where they had first discovered the light and invited him in extremely good english to be seated by the appearance of the chamber it seemed that master hans had been preparing to make great cheer for his captain for various were the flagons and bottles that stood upon the table together with trenchers and plates unused and a pile of manchet and spice-bread with other signs and prognostications of a rear supper not to mention an immense bowl which stood in the midst and whose void rotundity seemed yearning for some savoury mass not yet concocted it was not long before the merchant reappeared accompanied by longpole who according to the custom of those days when many a various rank might be seen at the same board seated himself at the farther end of the table after having taken his master's cask and soon engaged the dutch captain in conversation while the knight consulted with william hans regarding the means of quitting england as speedily as possible it is very unlucky you did not let me know before said the merchant 
for we might easily have cut the ship of my good friend Skippenhausen there, ready to-day, and you could have sailed to-morrow morning by the first tide. You might trust him, you might trust him with your life. Bless you, my good lord, tis he that brings me over the Bibles from Holland. But cannot we sail the day after to-morrow, said the knight, if one day will be sufficient to complete his freight? Oh, that he can, answered the merchant. But what will you do till then, he added, with a melancholy shake of the head. You will never like to lie in warehouse like a parcel of dry goods. Why, it must be so, I suppose, said the knight, if you have any place capable of concealing me. Oh, dear life, yes, cried William Hans, a place that would conceal a dozen. I had it made on purpose after that evil May-day, when the wild rabblement of London rose, and nearly murdered all the strangers they could find. I thought what had happened might once happen again, so I had in some of my own country people, and caused it to be made very securely. The matter was now soon arranged. It was agreed that the knight and Longpole should lie concealed at the merchant's till the ship was ready to sail, and that then Master Skippenhausen was to provide them a safe passage to some town in Flanders which being finally settled between all parties, it only remained to fix the price of their conveyance with the Dutchman. "'I am an honest man,' said he, on the subject being mentioned, "'and will not rob you. "'If you were in no hurry to go, and could go quietly, "'I would charge you ten marks a ton, "'but as you are in distress, I will only charge you fifteen. "'Faith!' burst forth Longpole. "'You are very liberal.' Why do you charge us more, not less, because we are in distress? Certainly, answered the Dutchman with imperturbable tranquillity. Nine men out of ten would charge you five times as much when they found you wanted to go very bad. Now I only charge you one half more. I believe you are right, said Sir Osborne. However, I do not object to your price. But tell me, what do you mean by fifteen marks a ton? Do you intend to weigh us? "'To be sure,' answered the Dutchman. "'Why not? All my freight is weighed, and why not you, too?' "'No, no, I'll have nothing on board that is not weighed. It's all put in the book.' "'Well,' said the knight, with a smile, "'it does not much matter. Can you take my horses, too, by weight?' "'Certainly,' replied the other. "'I can take anything, but I am responsible for nothing. If your horses kick themselves to death in the hold, that is not my fault.' "'I will take care of that,' said the knight. "'Here, Longpole, help me to put off my harness. "'I cannot sit in it all night.' "'While the custrel was thus employed in aiding his lord to disarm, "'the door opened, and in bustled a servant-maid of about two or three and thirty, "'whose rosy cheeks had acquired a deeper tinge "'by the soft wooing of a kitchen fire, "'and whose sharp eyes shot forth those brilliant rays "'generally supposed to be more animated,' by the wrathful spirit of cookery, and of ardent coals, than by any softer power or flame. Immediately that she beheld two strangers, forth burst upon the head of William Hans the impending storm. She abused him for telling her that there would only be himself and the captain. She vowed that she had not cooked half salmon enough for four. She declared that she had only put down plates and bread for two, and she ended by protesting that she never in her life had seen anybody so stupid as he himself, William Hans. To the mind of Sir Osborne, the lady somewhat forgot the respect due to her master. But, however, whether it was from one of those strange, mysterious ascendancies which cooks and housekeepers occasionally acquire 
of middle-aged single men or whether it was from a natural meekness of disposition in the worthy fleming he bore it with most exemplary patience and when want of breath for a moment pulled the check-string of the lady's tongue he informed her that the two strangers had come unexpectedly thereupon muttering to herself something very like why the devil did they come at all she set down on the table a dish of hot boiled salmon and after flouncing out of the room returned with the air of the most injured person in the world bringing in a platterful of dried peas likewise boiled these various ingredients the salmon was salted william hans immediately seized upon and emptied them into the great bowl we have already mentioned then casting off his gown and tucking up the sleeves of his coat he mashed them all together adding various slices of some well-preserved pippins a wooden spoon's capacity of fine oil and three of vinegar fancy such a mess to eat at eleven o'clock at night and then go to bed and dream boiled salmon and peas apples and oil and vinegar to crown it however sir osborne resisted the tempting viands and contented himself with some of the plain bread although both the merchant and the captain pressed him several times to partake assuring him while the oil and vinegar ran out at the corners of their mouths that it was very good very good indeed excellent and so much did they seem to enjoy it that the unhappy longpole was tempted for his sins to taste the egregious compound and begged a small quantity at the hands of good master hans the bountiful merchant shovelled a wagon-load of it upon his plate and the yeoman fancying himself bound in common politeness to eat it contrived to swallow three whole mouthfuls with a meekness and patience that in the succeeding reign would have classed him with the martyrs but at the fourth his humanity rebelled and thrusting the plate from him with a vehemence that nearly overturned all the rest no cried he no by there is no standing that the merchant and his countrymen chuckled amazingly at poor longpole's want of taste and even the knight albeit in no very laughter-loving mood could not help smiling at his custrel's discomfiture but as all things must come to an end the salt salmon and peas were at length concluded and some marmalades and confections substituted in their place which proved much more suitable to the taste of such of the company as were uninitiated in the mysteries of flemish cooking with the sweetmeats came the wines which were all of peculiar rarity and excellence for in this particular at least william hans was a man of no small taste which he kept indeed in continual practice not that we would imply that he drank too much or too often but still the god of the gilded horns had been gently fingering his nose and with a light and skilful pencil had decorated all the adjacent parts with a minute and delicate tracery of interwoven rosy lines as the wine diffused itself over his stomach it seemed to buoy up his heart to his lips prudence too slackened her reins and on went his tongue galloping as a beggar's horse is reported to do on a way that shall be nameless many were the things he said which he should not have said and many were the things he told which would have been better left untold amongst others he acknowledged himself a lutheran which in that age if it tended to find out bliss in the other world was very likely to bring down damnation in this he averred that he looked upon the bishop of rome as he called the pope in the light of that babylonish old lady 
whose more particular qualification is not fit for ears polite and he confessed that when dr fitzjames the bishop of london had brought up all the translations of the bible he could find and burned them all at paul's cross he had furnished the furious romanist with a whole cargo of incomplete copies so that continued he the bishop damned his own soul the more completely by burning god's work and paid the freight and binding of a new and complete set into the bargain and he chuckled and grinned with mercantile glee at his successful speculation and with puritanic triumph over the persecutors of his sect sir osborne soon began to be weary of the scene and begged to know where he should find his chamber upon which master hans rose to conduct him with perfect steadiness of limb the wine having effected nothing but his tongue lighting a lamp he preceded the knight with great reverence and while longpole followed with the armour he led the way up a little narrow stair to a small room the walls of which though not covered with arras were hung with painted canvas after a common fashion of the day representing the whole history of jonah and the whale wherein the fish was decidedly cod and the sea undoubtedly butter and parsley notwithstanding anything that the scientific may say to such an assemblage the ship was evidently one that would have sunk in any sea except that she was in she could not have sailed across chancery lane in a wet day without foundering and as if to render her heavier the artist had stowed her to the head with dutchmen rendering her like the dame de la sainte alliance that is a turkey stuffed with woodcocks one heavy thing crammed full of another the whole of the room however was cleanliness itself the little bed that stood in the corner with its fine linen sheets the small deal table even the very sand upon the floor all was as white as snow i am afraid my good lord said the merchant who never lost his respect for his guest that your lordship will be poorly lodged but these three chambers along in front are what i keep always ready in case of any of my captains arriving unexpectedly and it is all clean and proper i can assure you i will now go and bring you a cushion for your head and what the friend called the coupe de bonne nuit and i will myself call your lordship to-morrow before any one is up that you may take your hiding-place without being seen the knight was somewhat surprised to find his host's recollection so clear notwithstanding his potations but he knew not what much habit in that kind will do and still doubted whether his memory would be active enough to remind him that he was to call him when the next morning should really come however he did master hans injustice for without fail at the hour of five he presented himself at the knight's door and soon after rousing longpole he conducted them both down to the warehouses through whose deep obscurity they groped their way amidst tons and bags and piles and bales with no other light than such straggling rays as found their way through the chinks and crevices of the boards which covered the windows for the night at length an enormous butt presented itself which appeared to be empty for without any great effort the old merchant contrived to move it from its place behind it appeared a pile of untanned hides which he set himself to put on one side as fast as possible though for what purpose sir osborne did not well understand as he beheld nothing behind them but the rough planks which formed the wall of the warehouse as the pile diminished a circumstance occurred 
which made all the parties hurry their movements, and dispatched the hides as fast as possible. This was nothing else than a loud and reiterated knocking at the outer door, which at first induced Master Hans to raise his head and listen, but then, without saying a word, he set himself to work again harder than ever, and, with the assistance of the knight and longpole, soon cleared away all obstruction, and left the fair face of the boarded wall before them. Kneeling down, the merchant now thrust his fingers under the planks, where the apparently rude workmanship of the builder had left a chink between them and the ground, then applied all his strength to a vigorous heave, and in a moment three of the planks at once slid up, being made to play in a groove, like the door of a lion's den, and discovered a small chamber beyond, lighted by a glazed aperture towards the sky. "'In, in, my good lord!' cried the merchant. "'Don't you hear how they are knocking at the door? "'They will soon rouse my maid, Julianne, though she sleeps like a marmot. "'What they want, I don't know.' Sir Osborne and Longpole were not tardy in taking possession of their hiding-place, and having themselves pulled down the sliding door by means of the crossbars, which in the insides united the three planks together, they fastened it with a little bolt, whereby any one within could render his retreat as firm, and to all appearance as immovable as the rest of the wall. They then heard the careful William Hans replace the hides, roll back the butt, and pace away, after which nothing met their ear but the unceasing knocking at the outer door, which seemed every minute to assume a fiercer character, and which was perfectly audible in their place of refuge. The merchant appeared to treat the manner very carelessly, and not to make any reply till it suited his convenience, for during some minutes he let the knockers knock on. At length, however, that particular sound ceased, and from a sort of rush and clatter of several tongues, the knight concluded that the door had been at length opened. At the same time the voice of the Fleming made itself heard, in well-assumed tones of passion, abusing the intruders for waking him up so early in the morning, bringing scandal upon his house, and taking away his character. "'Seize the old villain!' cried another voice. "'We have certain information that they are here. Search every hole and corner. They must have arrived last night.' Such and various other broken sentences, pronounced by the loud tongue of some man in office, reached the ears of Sir Osborne, convincing him, notwithstanding Henry's assurance, that till noon of that day he should remain unpursued, that Wolsey, taking advantage of the king's absence at Richmond, had lost no time in issuing the warrant for his arrest. Sitting down on a pile of books, which was the only thing that the little chamber contained, he listened with some degree of anxiety to the various noises of the search. Now it was a direction from the chief of the party to look here or to look there, now the various cries of the searchers, when they either thought they had discovered something suspicious, or were disappointed in some expectation. Now the rolling of the butts, the overturning of the bales, the casting down of the skins and leathers. Now the party was far off, and now so near that the knight could hear every movement of the man who examined the hides before the door of his hiding-place. At one time, in the eagerness of his search, the fellow even struck his elbow against the boarding, and might probably have discovered that it was hollow underneath, had not the tingling pain of his arm engaged all his attention, passing off in a fit of dancing and stamping, mingled with various ungodly execrations. 
At length, however, the pursuers seemed entirely foiled, and after having passed more than two hours, some in examining the dwelling-house and some the warehouse, after having tumbled over every article of poor William Hans's goods, their loud cries and insolent swaggering dwindled away to low murmurs of disappointment, and growing fainter and fainter as they proceeded to the door, the sounds at length ceased entirely, and left the place in complete silence. Not long after, the workmen arrived and began their ordinary occupations for the day, and Sir Osborne and Longpole thanked their happy stars, both for having escaped the present danger, and for their enemy's search being now probably turned in some other direction. End of chapter 26